Today's scripture is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. And uh, today is actually Maggie's last Sunday with us. They are moving to Chicago. Her husband's been there doing uh, uh, studies. He was an orthodontist in Ecuador, uh, but when you come to the U.S., you have to go through an intensive program to get your license here, so that's what he's been doing, and, and she and Ivana will be moving up and uh, joining him this next week. So, Maggie, we will miss you, but look forward to your return. Uh, we understand this is a temporary, a temporary separation. You know, I don't know if you noticed or not, but when everybody was up here, do you realize there were nine decades of people on the stage? Nine decades of people from teens to 90s uh, on this platform. Um, that's first of Ann. Okay, that's first of Ann. Uh, that we are a very age diverse church. And uh, that brings with it challenges. And that brings with it lots of things. Now today is our fourth uh, membership Sunday. We do it about twice a year. Um, and on those Sundays, we try to do three things. The three things that we try to do is, one, uh, we acknowledge, which we will at the end of the service, those who have joined the church, formally joined the church. Some of them have been around for a while, but have formally joined the church since the last time we did one of these services. Um, we also, at the end, together as members, will affirm the tenets of our membership covenant. But it's also a day when we try to focus a message around uh, being part of the body of Christ, being part of a fellowship, being uh, members uh, here, not just of, of, uh, of Christ, but specifically being members of a local fellowship of this local body. Now, let's be honest. Being part of a church is not always easy. There's times when it is difficult to do that. People disappoint us. Circumstances disappoint us. Sometimes we don't understand why things happen the way they do. Sometimes we you see decisions that are made and we don't understand where that decision came from or, or why that particular decision was made. And so belonging has its benefits, but there's also some struggles and there's also some responsibilities. It has been said and written that there is nothing like the body of Christ when it works the way that God intended it to. And a lot of us have seen that in action. A lot of you have seen that in action uh, just recently. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll call somebody who's going through something just to check on them, and I'm assuming that they need me, and so I call them, and they say, no, actually, I'm doing great, man. Our Sunday school class is uh, really circled around us, and they're taking care of us, or our small group, or a group of friends, or whatever it is, and, and they're being ministered to, and they're being cared for, and that's the body of Christ working the way it's supposed to, but it's also been said that there's nothing more disconcerting than something designed to work beautifully when it doesn't. 
I actually just made that one up, but it, uh, it's, it's true, I think. It is true that when something is, is divinely designed and supposed to work uh, a certain way and it just falls apart or doesn't, then it's all that much more difficult. Any kind of failure or shortcoming on the part of the church just seems to be particularly egregious. In some ways, it's true. The church should be held to a bit higher standard. After all, we have divine power. We have the Holy Spirit. We have an eternal word that is guiding and leading us. But have news. This church, every church, today and every day is a gathering of sinful people. It is. We all got different sins that we struggle with. We don't all struggle with the same things. One thing that I would never think of having any struggle with or issue with, you may find really besetting and things that you couldn't understand why anybody would have a problem with that, I may find to be a besetting thing. So everyone here who knows Jesus Christ is declared righteous through the atoning work of Christ's blood poured out on the cross. But in the day-to-day manifestation, the day-to-day manifestation of being what we are to be in Christ, we're sinful, and that's why there's grace. So how do we function as an organized, interconnected group of born-again, redeemed, declared righteous, but horribly flawed human beings? How do we function together until the Lord comes? We do it through the manifestation of the fundamental, basic attributes of what it is to be a Christian, of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the things that Paul describes in the third chapter of Colossians. Maggie read this text to us, but let me give you a little bit of context. You'll find that on page 984, by the way, if you want to grab one of those Bibles out of the pew. I really encourage you to follow along. I'm not going to reread the whole text. And so if you'll follow along, you'll kind of see where the different things I hit are in the text. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you or one on a device or something, it is, like I say, page 984 in those pew Bibles. Uh, I encourage you to, to follow along with it. In in chapter 3, Paul's describing what the new self, the regenerated one in Christ uh, looks like. Um, The first part of the chapter, the part that we aren't covering today, that's a part about an intentional disrobing. It's a taking things off. It's some things that are part of our old nature that we disrobe. We take those things off. We cast those things off. But then there's also an intentional reclothing as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, sometimes people take off but don't put on. And what happens, what do you get if you take off the deeds of the flesh but don't put on the character of the spirit? You know what you get? You get a naked Pharisee. That's what you get. When you take off, but you don't put on, you get a naked Pharisee. You get someone that's got all these rules of what you don't do without the graces of what you do and what we do as believers. So, that's who we are in Christ, described for us in that third chapter of Colossians. And since this is who we are, what are the characteristics? These characteristics aren't unrealistic because they are who we are, but they are hard. As we walk through, we need to ask the question. One thing I want you to ask as we walk through this, this today, I want you to ask yourself, and this is not glorifying man, 
But, I want you, but examples are important. So I want you to ask yourself, who do I know that manifests that trait? I want you to do that for two reasons. Number one, because I want you to see a living example of it. And number two, I want you to maybe go ask them, hey, how did you cultivate that and, direct, and, and, and really come to have that in your life? Were there some steps? Were there some things you did? Were there some, some disciplines? Were there some things that happened in your life? that you, I've watched this. I could point out all over this room right now, people who in abundance, nobody perfectly, none of us have this down perfectly, but I could point out people all over the room who in abundance manifest many of these traits. It would be good to talk to them. Find out, how did God build that in you? Now, let me point something out about these virtues. We're going to talk about five virtues, and then we'll talk about three challenges and three manifestations. You've got them in your notes in your bulletin. And when we look at these five virtues, what I want you to notice is that these virtues are plural. They happen in community. They don't happen in isolation. You'll see how that works out in a minute. These characteristics of Christ-likeness can only be shown in the context of other people. If we're just isolated and alone, we don't have opportunity for these things to manifest themselves. So these five virtues, these three challenges, things that are manifested happen in community. Five virtues, I'm going to hit them pretty quick because we don't have a ton of time. The first of those is compassion. If you're going to be compassionate, you've got to have someone to be compassionate toward. You can't be compassionate just in a vacuum all alone and all by yourself. You can't manifest that characteristic. We're compassionate toward others. Now, what does compassionate mean? What's it all about? It's very multifaceted. It's, it includes, but it's more than sympathy and empathy and pity and mercy. It involves action. It's not just an internal feeling. It's not just something felt on the inside. It's something that works itself out as we interact with others and we engage in their lives. That's where compassion takes action. Now, we're not spending, in, in compassion, we're not spending tons of time considering someone's worthiness or considering how deserving they are. That's kind of the opposite of compassion in a lot of ways. And it's not where we, um, we're not saying, how, you know, they got themselves into this. You know, we see somebody on the street. We're like, well, that, they've done this to themselves. Now, listen, it does not mean enabling ongoing negative and destructive behavior. Okay, draw that line there. It's not compassionate to enable someone to continue down a destructive path. That's not compassion at all. But it is compassion when we see someone who is struggling and have the opportunity to potentially help them and not take into consideration all those things and have that sympathy and empathy, pity and mercy for them, but take action on it because we are a new creation. And God uses that to help us take action where that is required. Now, the second of the virtues is kindness. Kindness flows out of compassion, but it's not exactly the same of compassion. It's actually the same word that gets translated easy when it talks about his yoke, when Jesus says, my yoke is easy. It's really the same word. And you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Those don't seem like the same thing at all, but it really does. If you ever said to somebody, hey, take it easy, man. What are we saying? Hey, be kind. You know, somebody's going off on somebody or somebody's just losing it, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy, easy, easy. What are we saying? Kind, kind, kind. We're saying, back it down, buddy. 
Be a little kind here in the way that you're approaching that. So that's, you see, those words really do mean the same thing in a lot of ways in the way that we use them. And we've got to remember something very, very important. It means that it, you know, it's not harsh or hard to bear, that, you know, that his yoke is not harsh or hard to bear. And our approach to others should not be harsh or hard to bear. And we've got to remember that God is kind even to those deserving his wrath. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 2 says his kindness leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And he's inviting us to take his yoke upon us. Jesus says that he is gentle and humble in heart. And that kind of brings us to the third virtue, which is humility. Now, interestingly about this virtue, Christianity has a way of flipping things. Humility was not a virtue in classic Greek culture. It was a bad thing. It was always had negative connotations in classic Greek literature. And when, they, when Christianity comes along, it flips it. It flips humility into a virtue. Instead of something to be avoided, flips it into something to be attained, something that characterizes the follower of Jesus Christ. It had negative connotations in the culture, and Christianity changes that over to make it a virtue. You say, well, maybe you, know, you can be humble by yourself, but no, you really can't. Not when you look at humility in light of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read it to you. You're familiar with the passage, most of you. It says of Jesus, when it talks about the mind that we are to have, the attitude that we are to have, it talks about Jesus and it says, and though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by, become obedient, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus demonstrated humility for us, that characteristic that was negative in the culture, showed us that it is a positive trait that we are to pursue, a positive trait that is to be a part of our life, and he demonstrates it in the context of the world that he came into as he took on that humility. It's ultimately only realized in how we position ourselves in relation to others. Jesus himself made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He was found in human form, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, the fourth virtue is meekness or gentleness. If you're using the ESV, it says meekness. If you use New American Standard or the NIV, it's gentleness. And it's closely related to humility but gentleness occurs, it's really interesting, I, I enjoyed kind of reading up on this a little bit. Gentleness occurs when we have the power to do harm or inflict injury or harm and choose not to. When we have the capacity, when we have the ability to do hurt to someone with words, with deeds, with actions, with attitudes... We have the ability, and maybe could even find the justification, but we choose not to. That's meekness, that's gentleness. I love pictures. Y'all seen the videos and pictures like of a baby and a big dog? 
Y'all seen some of those some of those pictures, you know, and you got a little baby there, and you know, the, the baby's like crawling towards something, the big dog just keeps going, you know, and just kind of kind of you know, the only harm the baby could do to the dog would be maybe like get stuck in its throat or something. I mean, that's the only thing that could could happen, you know, and, and where you see the picture where the baby's walking toward the steps and, and, and the dog's, you know, got a hold of the, the baby's skirt tail, you know, and the baby's screaming, they're mad and everything. The dog's just holding it back, you know, just patiently holding it there. You know what that is? That's gentle. That's meekness. That dog has the ability to do great harm to that child, but it doesn't. And we are often in a place, from the greatest to the smallest of us, we are often in a place where we can do harm to someone. Whether it's with our words, whether it's with our attitudes, actions, whatever it may be. Meekness and gentleness is having the capacity, having the power to do harm, but choosing not to. And we sometimes have to make the same choice that dog makes. That, you know, you're going to pound on me. You're pounding on my head. Yes, you are pounding on my head, but I'm not, I'm not going to do anything about it right now. You know, I'm just, going to be, I'm just going to be gentle. People are going to, as I said at the beginning, people are going to disappoint us. People are going to offend us. And we may have all the ammo that we need to just totally blow them out of the water. But this virtue of gentleness, this virtue of meekness says, I choose not to. I choose not to. The last of the five virtues is patience. And it's only by the grace of God. It's one of the most observable evidences of regeneration. Very few naturally patient people in the world of whom I do not happen to be one. William Barclay says this, of the person who is manifesting divine patience toward their fellow man, he says, foolishness and unteachability never drive them to cynicism or despair. And insults or ill treatment never drive them to bitterness or wrath. That's what he says of the person who's patient. Patience is everything that is the opposite of resentment and revenge. Patience is that long suffering. So five virtues that will be showing up in some measure in the life of the person who's being made new in Christ. Now, if you want to hear a really good sermon on this text, Jamie Trussell taught this last week at Harvest, somebody told me. And so, you know, go listen to that one. One of the things, he, he was a little bold. I mean, he said, you know, if you don't see these, you probably need to ask yourself if you know Christ. See, I didn't say that and blame it on Jamie. <laughs> That's how this works out. <laughs> you know, you don't see these virtues happening. But working us, they'll be working themselves out, not just in the individual, but they'll be working themselves out in the culture of a local body. We'll see these things growing. We'll see them coming on more and more. Never going to reach perfection, but are we seeing growth? Are we seeing improvement? That's always the question we need to be asking. Now, that leads us to three significant challenges. Challenges that can bring about a crisis of faith. Challenges that can make us say, I don't don't know if I like this. I don't know if I want to do this. In the flesh, these things are impossible. But they are essential to living out what God has called us to do and be as new creations in Christ. Um, now, I've got to stop right here and tell you a story. This week, here's how this week's gone. So the first part of the week, uh, I was just kind of making notes, gathering stuff, reading stuff, writing stuff down. The way I prepare a sermon, I usually like have a pad there and I write stuff down and, and I you know, underline things in books and that kind of stuff. And I've got it all laid out on my desk and I just, just do it kind of the first part of the week. Thursday, I sat down to actually write this. And so Thursday morning, I sat down and I spent about four hours writing everything that I've just said to you. 
Okay, just writing it out, getting it in the right words that I wanted to use, taking it down, about four hours doing that. And then I had a lunch meeting, and after that lunch meeting was over, I had to uh, go out to a place I was having my car repaired because they were having some trouble understanding what was wrong with the car. And so I went out there, and um, it, it didn't go well. Um, and so I've been sitting here writing these things for four hours. I get out there, and, and I was suddenly faced with, genuinely, uh, this is true, I was suddenly faced with incompetence and indifference. And that's a terrible combination. Um, and uh, I was very frustrated. And they knew I was frustrated. <laughs> and uh, so finally, I just said kind of in exasperation, I said, hey, just give me my keys. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm leaving. So gave me the keys. I walked out. I got in the car. I start out of the parking lot, I get to the end of the street, and I'm like, what have you been writing for the last four hours? You just blew all five. I turned around, I went back, I went in, I said, the guy I'd been talking to wasn't there, so I asked for him, I think he's crying in the back or something, and, <laughs> and so... <laughs> I asked, him to, I asked him to have him come out. He came out, you know, and, and uh, I think he thought, oh, here it goes again. And I said, look, man, I, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I was, I was out of line. I was, I was, I was rude, and, and I'm sorry. Just please forgive me. Uh, and he said, yeah, I understand, man. I know it gets frustrated. You know, and he, he kind of excused me, you know, at that point, uh, as we're, often we do when somebody apologizes to us. We excuse them. Um, and so, you know, I got back in the car, and I realized, man, you've got a lot of work to do on this. But I also realized at a previous time in my life, I would not have turned around and gone back. And that's growth, okay? And that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for change. And so as you hear these things, don't hear these things legalistically. Don't hear them pharisaically. Hear them as saying, this is what God is doing in us. This is a work that God's doing, making changes in us. But we have to be open to that work, and we have to allow that work to happen. Okay, now I got back to the sermon. Then I went back, I started writing again. So I started writing on the three challenges. So what are the three challenges? Number one is bearing with one another in verse 13. That means to endure is basically what it means. N.T. Wright says, restrain your natural reaction toward odd or difficult people. Let them be themselves. I thought that was great. Restrain your natural reaction. I already said that we're a collection of sinners, but we're, just, we're a collection of weird sinners. You know, We're a collection of odd. Every church is. Every gathering of people, unless somehow they have achieved just this little group of people that are all exactly the same, there's going to be differences. There's going to be difficult people. There's going to be hard things to deal with. And we're a collection of, of weird sinners. We're a collection of difficult sinners. We don't all naturally flow together. You're never going to get this many people in a room that all flow flow together naturally in every way. Some things that some people in this room do irritate me. And you know what? I'll guarantee you there's things that I do that irritate some people in this room. You've told me about some of them actually. <laughs> some things that some of you do I think are downright wrong. Not immoral, not blatant sin, but I think they're, that wasn't the right thing to do in that situation. And I guarantee you there are people here that think some things I do and have done are downright wrong too. And bearing with one another is what we have to do until Jesus comes back to belong, to be part of the community. That's part of the struggle 
of being part of a community. I'm not talking about tolerating false teaching. I'm not talking about abiding blatant sin in the body. Scripture tells us plenty about what to do with those things. But let's face it, most of our conflicts are not about those things. Most of our conflicts are about subjective differences. They're about things we just don't agree on how it should be or how it should be done. And somebody does it differently than how we think it should be done. And that becomes offensive to us in some way. A lot of things we get crosswise on don't have anything to do with doctrine or righteousness, really. They're just things that we do differently. So that's the first challenge. Second, takes it up a notch. Second challenge is to forgive each other. This whole belonging thing, this whole being part of a body, this whole being part of a community of people only works if forgiveness is free-flowing within that body. Otherwise, it is a pretty nasty place to be. Because we can't fix everything. We can't undo things. We can't unsay things. We can't unsee things. But what we can is forgive for those things that are said and felt and seen. And that's what we have to choose to do in order for this belonging thing to really work. The challenge is qualified by the statement, as the Lord has forgiven you. And that's pretty absolute. At least I hope it is. Because if his forgiveness of me is not absolute, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. Mostly forgiven, forgiven except for, those are eternity-altering phrases when we're talking about our soul. Because mostly forgiven is unforgiven, and unforgiving is condemnation. And that's where we wind up. Who are we to forgive? We're to forgive those who we have a complaint against. Now, what's the difference in that and bearing with? This phrase, having complaint against, let me unpack it just a tiny bit. It's meaning, it means where there has been genuine offense. This is not talking about differences. This is not talking about a difference in how we see things, how we would have done things, a decision we would make. This is talking about offense. This is talking about being wronged, being sinned against. Sure enough, offended. We don't forgive for being different. We bear with people for being different. We forgive people when they sin against us. And we sin against each other. That's a reality in any group of people. That's a reality in any family that we sin against each other. And belonging only works when we cultivate the grace of forgiving as the Lord has forgiven us. And the last of the three challenges to put on, is to put on love, verse 14. It says that it's above all. It's above all the others. It's above the five virtues. It's above the other two challenges. It binds everything together. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the greatest of these being love. It's like the belt or the sash that holds the virtues or holds the challenges together. It's, it's above all because it, it's, without it, nothing else works. It's because just as love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength covers the other commands... So genuinely loving one another, another covers the things that we are to do and the virtues and the challenges we have. Well, that brings us to three manifestations. We don't have any time left, but I'm going to go through it real quick. No, growing in the five virtues and accepting these three challenges as a body, as a group of people belonging together. What that does is it naturally manifests in verse 15 and 16 what it says, the peace of Christ, which is not the absence of conflict, 
We're at peace with God, thus we can be at peace with one another, even when we're not seeing eye to eye on everything. It manifests thankfulness. You know, we see, it's impossible to see those five virtues growing among us and seeing God changing people. It's impossible to see people rising up and stepping up and taking those challenges seriously and not become thankful for that. Seeing victory where there was only defeat before and not be thankful for that. The third thing that will be manifest is mutual edification. We drive a stake that the word of God is absolute. We mutually share and communicate it to one another within the body of Christ. And you know what? That's not just the preacher's responsibility. We've all already done that this morning. Or most of us anyway have already done that this morning as we proclaim truth to one another in song. As we spoke theology to one another in song. And, and you know, I, I'm going to let Ken or Ron or somebody smarter than me explain the difference between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They'll, they'll have to explain how all that works. But what I do know, this may take a little adjustment, that part of our being together, part of the outward vocal expression of biblical truth to one another is in our song. And let me tell you something. There is nothing that blesses my heart more. I know there's some of you who don't like contemporary music. I know there's some of you who don't like traditional music. And I sit over there, usually, and we're creatures of habit, and I can kind of look out, and I can see a big swath of the congregation. And sometimes I see somebody that I know doesn't like contemporary music singing their heart out. And I see somebody that I know is not particularly fond of, a contempor- of traditional type music, and they're singing that hymn with gusto. And let me especially say to men, okay, I'm metal here, okay? Guys, dads, grandfathers, when those little guys see you singing, they know you mean it. Mama's supposed to sing. You know, that's just, you know, that's just, yeah. But when they see dad, with gusto, proclaiming those deep theological truths and realities in song. Even if you can't sing, who cares? There's a lot of people here. Nobody can hear you anyway. I'm always worried that this mic's going to get turned on halfway through a song or something, you know. But, but, but who, that's not the issue. The issue is we have the opportunity and we are exhorted from the Scripture that this is an important, important part of how we communicate biblical theological truth to one another is as we sing songs, as that truth blasts out of our mouth, it is important for that to happen. Five virtues, three challenges, three manifestations of those things. If that were actively growing, not perfected, but if it were actively growing and we were thriving in the, in the moving forward of those things, can you imagine What a body of believers that would be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us pretty clear points here and points that we can look at and look in a mirror, in a sense, for, not for perfection, but for change. Lord, none of us are ever going to perfect these things. But, Lord, are are we allowing you to grow these things in our hearts and lives? That's what we want, and that's what we pray for, because we cannot do this in the flesh These are spiritual changes that take place by the power of your spirit working in and through us. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name.